Good evening, everybody, from the Underground Pachinko Parlor on sub-level 14, deep in Area 51. Welcome to TalkCast 303. Oh, my God. And this week's edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Enjoying Pocky because I can. I am the Dome. Joining the TalkCast tonight, some of the Gang of Five and, and some other people. And we just, this show got thrown together. Let's just put it that way. In the Revere Time sure, Vortex. Sure, make the guests feel really good about this. Absolutely. <laughs> it's your specialty, Dome. I, you know, I live to swerve. In the Revere Time Vortex, the technical anarchist, for those of us uninformed peasants, if there's a button to, worth pushing, she's done it multiple times, you'll hear her clickety-clacking in the background through the entire show. It's our own girl genius, Kriana. That's because I can't stop playing Don't Starve. <laughs> I, can't, I literally, I physically cannot stop. You've been playing that for weeks now. Send help. <laughs> so, yeah. So, because the rest of the cast decided uh, tonight would be a convenient night to take off, joining us is the the, the voice seldom heard. <laughs> well, you just heard him. It's our yes. own fucking monkey, Cam. Cam, welcome. Random phrase inserted here because I was thrown in. <laughs> Literally 10 minutes ago. Yep. So tonight we were supposed to have uh, one guest, and it's one guest, two guests, and now that it's two guests. Do we have guests, a red one and a blue one? A red one and a blue one. Right. Our red, Our red guest tonight is a name that should be well known to any geek worth their salt. Melinda Snodgrass is an author, screenwriter, and equestrian who has just come in from writing as we speak. But according to Cam, she doesn't do it all at the same time. She's currently done Star Trek Renegades, and we'll talk about that and some more. Melinda, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you, Dome, for having me. I'm really delighted. You're only delighted because you've never heard this show before. <laughs> Dome did not check that fact before the show, but... Based on your response, I'm positive that it's correct. <laughs> our second guest tonight is one of our friends and, and one of our favorites. And and a gentleman's gentleman, a writer's writer, and a thinker's... What does that even thinkers. mean? You're just making up words now. You're right, I am. Tracy Hickman. Tracy, welcome back, my friend. Why, thank you. It's good to be back. It's good to be on with Melinda. Yeah, it was one of those, you know, serendipitous moments where... Tracy said, I need to be on the show, and Melinda said, hey, I'm scheduled for this week, and we said, two great tastes okay. that taste great together. Yeah, so let's we do said, it. That seems like it would work. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm extremely impressed here, actually. Melinda has written several episodes for Star Trek Next Generation. I, I pitched stories to uh, Voyager back in the day. Uh, on the Paramount lot, and I could never get anywhere. So congratulations, and good on you there, Melinda. Well, thank you. Um, I, in retrospect, I sometimes wonder if it was such a great thing, but um, it did launch my whole <laughs> career, so I, I am grateful to that extent, yes. Well, I mean, we can all agree that The Next Generation was the best of all the Star Treks, so. Oh, 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 thank oh, you for sticking the knife right off the bat. You're welcome. <laughs> Deep Space Nine was horrible. It was the worst show. Space Nine was my favorite. It was the worst. But Next Gen was the one that brought the franchise back and set the tone for the next fifteen years. Absolutely. Melinda, can you tell? Can you tell that we have some opinions on this show? Yes, I I can see that. And you see, I am going to say I'm sorry. The best of them all in terms of the writing and the power of the scripts was the original Trek with Kirk and Spock and McCoy. I mean, you can just start ticking okay, off great episodes. You can't episodes. just say in terms of the writing, though. I, in terms of the writing, lots of things are better than other things, but. That show had William Shatner on it, so it automatically <laughs> loses. Uh, Bill is is I you know yes he overacted yes he did but the show had heart it had enormous heart and passion and I always thought that was something that was lacking in Next Generation um, which what? was very frustrating to me. What? It was different. I passion. totally disagree. <laughs> they did the wait a minute Pirates of Penzance with a Klingon. How does it get better than that? I don't even know. <laughs> you, it doesn't. It can't. <laughs> well, I, 
Am I supposed to make the terrible confession now? I guess I oh, have yes. to make the terrible confession. I, wanna... I never watched the show after I left at the end of the third season. Wow. I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never seen any of the rest well, of it. Well, that's them. clearly why you don't think it's good. <laughs> no, I, I, I was pretty burned out, and I went on and did other kinds of shows, other shows. And so, you know, I really am... I am ignorant when it comes to, you know, Trek um, minutia, <laughs> the later, the later Okay, episode. wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's, so let's wait a do minute. the math on this, because when you left Star Trek The Next Generation, I was, what, you said three years? Six years old? Oh, my God. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, way to treat a guest, Kriana. I know. I'm just, I'm just trying to put it in perspective that I, that, that was what I grew I up with. It's always going to be. a fellow ginger if I'm judging from this picture. It's Are always going to be the dearest to my heart because it's what I grew up with. Of course. And I grew up on original as a as I'm a so kid sorry. So there you go. <laughs> so and to answer your the question then becomes, if you literally got burned out of the franchise, and, and understandably so. I, I don't mean, think she literally got burned, though. <laughs> thank, thank you, Kriana. Like, like, let's let's just... What brought you back into uh, Star Trek Renegades? What brought me back was the fact that it, um, it, it was all the things that we couldn't do on, on Next Generation. It was about the seedy underbelly of the Federation. It was about crooks and con men. It was I mud more than, you know. I mean, it, it, Star Trek was so squeaky clean, um, Next Gen. And, you know, I really, I really wanted to dirty it up a little bit. And, and Renegades Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, I don't remember which episode was where, but where's the one where they kidnap um, Deanna Troy and Lorxana and they're all naked in the Ferengi ship? Oh, what please, just that? don't remind me of that episode. That was I'm awesome! Thinking. Oh, no. I mean, a flashback. But, I mean, <laughs> no, I, you know, that was what attracted me to Renegades, was that it was literally about people who were crooks and criminals, and and also the chance to walk, write for Walter Koenig. Now, sadly, guys, I hate to tell you, but I have stepped out, of, stepped away from it because I felt I had to, given um, what was happening with Axanar and the cease and desist. But this is taking it in a very serious direction. So maybe well, we should. Okay. We can, no, I, and, and that was actually the next place that I wanted to, to talk to do you we, do about. Do we want to talk about that, though? Like, I think we do, just a little bit, because. At what accent are, well, I wasn't the, talking. Axonar, I wasn't talking to you though, Dom. Okay. Well, all right, Melinda. Did we want to go there? Well, you know, I don't see how it can be avoided. I mean, you know, I knew when when I was first approached to do Renegades, I I had a long conversation with my manager, who was terribly alarmed about this because he was sure I was going to get sued by CBS, and I kept saying, "Well, CBS and Paramount have." you know, sort of turned a blind eye for 20 years while people have made these fan, quote-unquote, fan-based episodes and shows. But what has happened, I think, is with the third movie coming out and with the announcement of their new show in 2017, I think they suddenly realized, I used to be a lawyer, guys, so bear with me. Um, oh. I think they, <laughs> Shit, that, you know, they had to do something or, the, you know, they were going to lose control over their over their franchise and they had to defend their their copyright. Um, and so defense. all of us had to know we were, everybody who was involved in this was living on borrowed time. And the moment they stepped in and said, we're shutting down Axanar, my feeling was that in order to make that case in court, they have to not violate the unclean hands rule, which means they can't say, well, you renegades guys and you new voyagers, you guys are all fine, but we're going to shut down Axanar. Because I don't know how, I don't see how they make that argument in a court of law and not lose. Um, unless they show, because otherwise they have unclean hands, and, and they're going to be up against the unclean hands doctrine anyway, uh, because they've allowed this to go on for, what, 20 years at least? That at people, least 20 years, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, you know, because of my situation and an oncoming, a project that's about to get rolling that I can't unfortunately speak publicly about yet, I didn't feel I could safely be involved in something where I might end up in a lawsuit or named in a lawsuit or named in a cease and desist order. 
um, you know, as a WGA member and all these other things. And so I regretfully had to say, I, I think I can't do this. And I was really bummed because I'd outlined the entire final wrap-up episode that was going to, you know, take end Renegades because, you know, Sky, the producer, had realized that there was no hope of us doing multiple episodes. This had been the original intention. He wanted to just wrap it up and give Chekhov a a meaningful end to his, his story, um, and I would have loved, loved to have done it. I, I had a luncheon meeting with Walter, and he is an amazing human being, brilliant, incisive, understands story. Um, you know, we went over the outline together. He asked questions, made some suggestions. You know, it was great, and then sadly all this other stuff <laughs> happened, and I went, oh, darn, and I don't think I can do this. So that's where it stands. I don't know what they're planning to do. I, I haven't heard. I should probably touch bases and see, you know, where they're at. But uh, I just felt like I had to I had to step back, given what was happening on the legal side. Okay, so but going back to the next generation for one second, can we all just agree that Dr. Pulaski was the worst? No. <laughs> no. What? Okay, I, w- I want to hear the rationale behind this. I hate her so much. Oh no, she was wonderful, and she was wonderful to write for. And Diana is just—I'm sure beautiful. she's a really nice person in person, but I hated that character so much. Oh, I loved writing for her. She had teeth. She had she had rough edges. I mean, that was the thing. Everybody was so nice in Next Generation. They all had broomsticks up their asses, and I was just like, "Can nothing do you, you know, like just." chill i mean unwind it was very difficult to write for them i mean gene literally had us into his office one day and said my people are perfect they have no flaws and we all left and went well that's gonna be a problem because i don't know how to write drama about people with no flaws um you know the the drama is conflict and the human heart in conflict with itself right tracy you're a writer (laughs) we have to have the human heart in conflict with itself well, we absolutely do, and 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 heroes who are carved out of marble are the most boring kind of heroes that there are. It's it it's uh, characters have to have internal conflict as well as external conflict, or they're extremely boring. Yeah, I mean, yes. may, maybe I'm biased. I mean, probably I'm biased, <laughs> but I, I really do feel like as time went on, they got more and more and more flawed. No. Dome, I don't know. You're older than dirt. Tell me. Yes, I am older than dirt. Thank you so much. <laughs> I can say that and get away with it. Yeah, it, you, you know, we're not being very ageist here or anything. No, no. I mean, you saw the original series when it first aired. I did. I did. And you, you've been all the way through. Like, the next generation, I feel like they got a lot more flawed as time went on. They got a lot more flawed, but they never started... <sighs> From the moment James Tiberius Kirk walked on, you knew he was a narcissist just to begin with. And I mean, there was a side to him that drew you in that was the dichotomy to Spock. And it was almost a, a, a triangular uh, uh, barkathon from show to show between Spock, McCoy, and, and Kirk. And each one of them was an incomplete character in and of themselves. And I understand what you mean about uh, the kind of squeaky cleanness of them. And that was... Uh, and that's why the first few seasons are, in fact, kind of boring. But Well, you know, if you, if you look at the, the Far Point, which is the two-part, uh, two-part episode that opens Next Generation... That is as squeaky clean as it possibly ever gets. Yes. Uh, it but, was... but my point was, is that by the end of the show, or well before the end of the show, they lost a lot of that. Which is why I loved Voyager. And, no, and... not the end. Not like Vo- no, Voyager, like, that's a whole separate <laughs> thing. I'm only talking about Next Generation here. Voyager is its own thing, and it's still awesome. By the way, I like. Hey, at least I gave him a poker game. Finally, yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was your what? Were, I, I think we've come across what the most difficult part of writing for Next Gen was for you. Uh, <laughs> what was your favorite part about doing that? 
I had never been in a writer's room before uh, with other screenwriters, and um, it was great. I mean, there was such energy between Ricky and Hans and Ira Bear, who uh, Ira was just terrific. I loved him. Uh, Ron Moore, who um, I found his script in uh, the slush pile and brought it to my boss's attention and said we should hire him because he's really good. Um, and when we would all get in a room and, and work story together, I mean, we laughed and we came up with great stuff. And I, I learned that, um, you know, these, I'd been very good at plotting and structure, but Hollywood really taught me how to hone these skills. And I learned that in the writer's room from people like Ira. And, uh, and I'm very grateful. I still use it today. Um, I have a board and everything goes up in acts and even for my novels. So that was, that was great fun. Uh, I really enjoyed writing for Data. Um, I always thought it was sort of ironic and sad that for me the most interesting character was the robot. But, um, <laughs> but he was great to write for. Um, and that was, that was, and, and um, so I would say that those things were, were very valuable and I'm, you know, I'll never regret the opportunities and what I learned. Sorry, I was just looking up what epi- what um, season my favorite episode was, and it was actually season five. Dang it! <laughs> no, it's a really good uh, the Inner Light guys. It's an awesome episode. Oh yeah, that was it's a good. Amazing. Episode. That was a very very good episode. So having I'm really that- done with this now, though. I'm closing the Wikipedia tab. I'm done. I'll, <laughs> I'll watch it all again on Netflix right after this, but for now. So having left the Star Trek universe. <laughs> What was next for you after that? I went to work on a show called Reasonable Doubts that starred Mark Harmon and Marley Maitland. Oh, right, um, yeah. Yeah, it was a cop lawyer show. Uh, it was great. I loved writing for that show. And then, sadly, we got canceled before the third season uh, could start. I was heartbroken because I really, really, really liked that show and would have loved to have gone on writing for it. Um, and then I went on and I worked on Profiler and I wrote a bunch of TV pilots and one got made and I wrote some feature films that never got made and, you know, <laughs> the usual Hollywood story. So, um, and now I'm about to do something that I can't talk about because <laughs> they haven't announced it yet. I'm, I'm waiting for them to make my, finish making my deal and make the formal public announcement so that I can say something. It's very frustrating. Yeah. So what you're saying is we we got you on the show a little too early. Yeah, although no, my, no, God, no, I, that I, just I, means we have to have her back. Agreed. I like this plan. Okay, you're forgiven. Yeah, I, I like. <laughs> Thank you. I'll come back as soon as I can to talk about it. As I will. long as you never listen to another one of our shows. <laughs> because no, I, I'm reading your about page again, and I've noticed a name here who will, really hates us. And if he doesn't, he will. Are you talking about George? No shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in trouble. You're in trouble. <laughs> um, so, we, Kriana. We could, we could have words about his writing and what I think of it. Kriana, yeah. not to say anything for the next two minutes. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> My lips are zipped. If you want to know how I feel about it, you can listen no. to any other episode ever. Exactly. <laughs> I'm I'm going to quote Thumper's mom here, as regards George, who is my best friend. <laughs> if you can't say anything nice, <laughs> I'm but sure he's a that. great friend. <laughs> hmm? I'm sure he's a wonderful friend to have. He is. So let's and talk about the wildcard series. <laughs> yeah, uh, amen. <laughs> I will defer to Tracy now. <laughs> No, no, let's talk about the wildcard series and how you get Definitely. involved with that. Definitely. Okay, well, wildcard started because George and Walter John Williams and I and uh, Victor Milan and a bunch of other writers in New Mexico were in a role-playing group. And for Christmas one year, Vic bought George a game called Superworld. And then George fell down a rabbit hole and proceeded to do nothing but roll up supervillains for us to fight. And uh, we played this game sometimes four nights a week until three and four in the morning. No <laughs> obsession there or anything. None no, at all. not at all. And um, 
And then George was being sandbanned. At the time, I was still living in Albuquerque, and most of us lived in Albuquerque. So George would drive down and run the game for us. And then because it was 3 and 4 in the morning, he would spend the night in my guest bedroom. And then we would sit around after at breakfast discussing the game we had just played. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> and then finally one morning, I came in from feeding the horses, and I was making breakfast. And George said, there has to be a way to turn this obsession into money. And he said, what if we made it a shared world anthology? So we sat there for the next four hours creating the Wild Cards universe and coming up with, you know, the backstory and the setup. And George hated the superheroes where you're standing in a toxic waste dump and you get struck by lightning and then you get superpowers. And he said, let's come up with something coherent. And I said, well, what if it's an alien virus that they are field testing on Earth because we are genetically identical to these aliens? And he said, I like that. And so we built the whole thing and then went out and found friends to come and play in the sandbox with us. And we are still doing it. Book number 23 is about to be published. We have game books, we have graphic novels. I've written a graphic novel that um, Michael Comark, the wonderful, wonderful artist, is uh, doing the work, uh, doing all the illustrations for my graphic novel. Um, and so that's Wild Cards, and that's how it all happened, because we were gamers. <laughs> and then our gaming group sort of, you know, fell apart, people got busy, and then I discovered video games, and that's a whole other sad, <laughs> sad tale. So, um, oh boy. In fact, I'm sitting here tonight going, yeah, I need to get back to Mass Effect 3, because <laughs> the cloud. So, anyway. <laughs> Fair enough, I suppose. So, I mean, on top of everything else, you're writing script, you're writing books, you're riding horses. Uh, is, is She's riding horses, not that's riding horses. She might be riding horses as well. <laughs> I mean, let's not rule that out. No, I'm no, sure she could be writing horse stories while she's riding like, horses. Horser stories. It's horse like horror stories. stories with ponies. I manage a natural gas and oil company. <laughs> okay. I'm not kidding. Huh. It's small. My dad and some guys founded it, and I ended up taking it over a few years ago. So I do that. That keeps my legal mind honed. As I was going to say, you know, what do you do in your spare time, which you don't seem to have a whole lot of right now? Play video games. There you go. Yeah, I, mean, I was going to say we already we've been there. Yeah, kind of. We kind of. Question answered. Dumb. Jeez. <sighs> Don't you pay attention. So this new project that you can't talk about, tell us about it. No, never <laughs> Tracy has a project that he can finally tell us about and that he's been dying to tell us about, so let's go there. Tracy? Why, yes. You, you have a project that you've said to us half a dozen times, I can't talk about, and then last week messaged us and said, Now I can, I can talk, talk about it. Yeah. So tell us about this big deep dark secret. Well, I will, but first I, I, I'd like to invite Melinda out to my day job. Okay, okay. what's your day job? My day job, Melinda, is I'm uh, the director of story development for The Void. Um, uh, and The Void is uh, a um, cinematic virtual reality. Um, it's a destination reality. Where we uh, where we map a virtual world on top of physical walls and set pieces. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing like a holodeck. I was just going to say the nothing same thing. <laughs> Except for it's almost Actually, exactly like a holodeck. Yes. I would love to. Yes, please. Um, yes. Where, where is your day job located? My day job is located south of Salt Lake City. So anytime you're in, in the Salt Lake area, give me a ring and we'll, uh, we'll arrange it for you. We've, right. um, yeah, we're, we're going to, we're building our first, um, our, our first void um, experience center, uh, VEC, um, uh, here as our, uh, as our development site. It'll actually be the home of uh, Void Studios. Um, and then we're going to be deploying uh, these centers in joint ventures worldwide um, over the over the eighteen months after that open. Um, 
it's it's an astonishing experience um completely untethered virtual reality and we have in fact uh, people who have gone through the experience here ha have said yes this is the holodeck uh, <laughs> um, you see a wall you can touch it you see a bench you can sit on it torch on the wall you can go ahead and reach out and pick it up off the wall light it in the brazier and 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 illuminate your way uh, dynamically down down the halls into the depths of the uh, depths of the ancient Mayan temple oh this it's, sounds great uh, yes thank you I will definitely um, try to make that happen because that sounds just fascinating <laughs> yeah. has Salt Lake City now become your number one destination for a vacation because it's mine <laughs> yeah, like, it's completely okay. mine. <laughs> so, Tracy, for those those of our listeners who haven't spoken to you personally about this, uh, tell us how you got involved. In the void? Yeah. Yeah. In, well, I got involved in the void um, because my son, actually, is president of Void Studios. Uh, he's, uh, he's actually... Uh, um, he's done a number of things in his life, but, but one of the things that he did was uh, design uh, professional illusions. Uh, he's done professional illusion design for David Blaine and David Copperfield, for example. And he it's is... definitely not cool at all. No, not at all. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, go on. Go on like, wow. We, we, this isn't the coolest show in, like, years. Ever. Definitely not. Mm -mm. Nope. Yeah, uh, actually, uh, yesterday he introduced me to uh, Eliza Dushku, who came into the void um, to do the experience. Uh, she came down from Sundance to come through the void. And uh, so that was a good moment in my life. Better than falling off a stage? Oh, much better than falling <laughs> off a stage, actually. You're never going to uh, live that, that down. But although, yes, it did get my SAG card. But nevertheless, it was... Uh, <laughs> Not my best moment. <laughs> yeah, he he got me in. He got me involved in in the void. I've been grateful ever since. Uh, I've been here um, uh, uh, writing the scripts for the experiences here that we're developing, and um, have been in on uh, not only developing our own um, our our own intellectual properties here, but uh, we have a number of of um, major major licenses uh, that are pending announcement currently that we're very, very excited Dang about. It, Tracy. <laughs> I know you'll just have to have me on once again. Oh, Lord. And actually, um, Melissa, this is, something that, uh, this is something that you should be interested in because um, virtual reality, uh, certainly the way we're approaching virtual reality um, in, a, in a hugely immersive and expansive environment, um, our stages are designed specifically to um, fool the mind into believing that that they are endless, um, and that the space that you explore is is virtually without a horizon. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I I would think that uh, I would think that somebody with your interests would find writing for um, this kind of an environment um, challenging and hugely rewarding. <laughs> Find yeah, your next actually, job I mean, right here. The reason <laughs> I started video games was because I got hired based on a script I'd written. They hired me to write a game for EA and then I worked for two days and then the powers that be up higher up the food chain said, um, yeah, we're not going to do this game after all. But I became so intrigued with the the kind of storytelling that, that you have to do for this sort of experience that I went out and bought an Xbox so <laughs> mm -hmm. but no this does sound um, so are you have to write for the choices I presume that your person who's experiencing the 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 world would you would have to have alternate choices for them right or how the story goes or is it a set you know on rails kind of story no I've, I've never much cared for on rail story certainly I, I prefer an exploratory environment Okay. Um, more like role-playing games and and multipathing than than kind of the linear on rails sort of experience. We we have been uh, we are deploying a uh, 
a version of our experience uh, in Vancouver next month at the TED conference. Oh. Um, uh, and we're very, very excited about that. Um, it's actually the first time we've, we've taken our technology out of house and uh, uh, to show it to the public. And, Scary and to have awesome. the experience public. Oh, it's, it's, it's an amazing experience. The thing that I feel badly about, however, is we've spent the last uh, four months designing this uh, outstanding, stellar, immersive experience, um, uh, explore, exploration and puzzle-solving experience. Um, I, I mean, you, you, and you, you step through the portal into this, into this Mayan ruined courtyard and and look up into the star this beautiful star-filled twilight sky it's in, uh, with with little fireflies and and uh, 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 it's just an incredible beautiful experience oh my god you're awesome and we're going stop taunting we, me <laughs> we built this amazing god. amazing thing and we're going to disassemble it this friday ship it to toronto <laughs> oh no uh, <laughs> no that's yeah. great you have to disassemble sorry, it mean, so other people can enjoy it I'm sorry, ship it to Vancouver, which is where the TED conference is. And then as soon as the TED conference is over, it's going to be disassembled again and sent to China. And so we're not ever going to see it again. <laughs> oh, um, my goodness. Oh, why is it going so to then China? you'll design a new one? Is that how that would work? Well, this, the stage we've designed for Vancouver is what we call a quarter stage. It's a 30-foot by 30-foot stage. The, the full stage for our experiences... Um, is a 60-foot by 60-foot footprint. Um, but because of the redirected walking techniques that we perfected here um, and the design of the stage, um, uh, we can literally expand that 60-foot by 60-foot in any direction um, in the minds of the participant. Um, and you can... You, uh, our... Our uh, our effective footprint becomes huge because we keep redirecting you into the interiors um, that are mapped completely differently and represent completely different space. That's ridiculous. I love it. Yeah, it is. It's an astonishing thing. We'll be building our next our next project after we finish the Van, uh, the Vancouver TED deployment. Um, we will be building our full stage here and building our full our full stage experience, first full stage experience. I'm really excited about that. Now, okay, the lawyer has to ask, so when you're, you'll have the stage where you are in, near Salt Lake, mm -hmm. is this kind of a thing where you set it up where franchises, where other people will buy in and then they'll build their own stages in, in, in London or wherever it happens to be? Is that how this works? Or? Yeah, we're mostly looking at a joint venture um, model. In terms of our, in terms of franchising, so someone would come in and say, "Yeah, we'd like to finance uh, a deployment," and we'll say, "Okay, you finance the deployment, and we'll provide you with the technology. We'll provide you with the content." So uh, then you would write a script or a story for that particular venue. Well, we'd write we 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 could write script or story for that particular venue, but we'll most likely simply be deploying about. We'll start with a deployment of about four separate experiences, very much like a movie theater. Mm -hmm. Expect it's except that it'll be experiential holodeck experience. Uh, so we know you can have these stories, like different stories, be in the same physical space. They work. That well, way? yes. Our yeah, actually, what uh, actually based on our model, we will probably deploy uh, between six and eight stages at any given location. And so you'll be able to uh, have different experiences on different stages. So the void yeah. is then almost like a multiplex. Yes, yes. In in some ways, yes, it is. Although in our in our case, we've designed the overall experience to begin at the door. Um, when you first step into the front door of a void uh, a void uh, experience center, um, you actually step into a museum. Um, where we display artifacts of items that have been retrieved from inside the void. Um, now, here's a question, and tell me if this is getting like stupidly, insanely detailed. The elements that you use inside of the stages, are they like modular? Do you use the same elements and just rearrange them, depending on the story? Yes. 
So, theoretically, if I wanted to play a particular story and the place knew ahead of time, they could simply set it up. Right. And one of the things, for example, if we were to do a Star Trek experience, which is frankly something I want to do since I'm a Trekker from way back as well. I, I watched the first episode when it first aired. Um, you and me both, Tracy. <laughs> exactly. I did not. There I no. was in front of my round round tube RCA set. It was putting out enough microwave to cook a turkey, and I couldn't get close enough to the screen. But That but explains so much. No, just kidding. It does. It does. <laughs> but if we were to do a Star Trek experience, for example, you have to have a bridge, and you have to have the chair, and you have to have navigator and helmsman console right right and so we would well no you really i mean you can but there there are ways to do it that wouldn't necessarily i don't know continue but i think it's but i think that's the expectation and so for those things we would literally have set pieces that would be set up specifically to do that now admittedly our our navigation and helmsman consoles would be fully functional, and you'd be able to uh, to operate them. And we may even go through uh, something of a, a training process for people to do that. But but you would want to have those. You would want to sit in the chair. You would want to sit at the console and operate the consoles. And that is exactly what we can do in the void. It's unlike any virtual experience that's out there. Now, it's interesting that on the website for The Void, you, you actually have two different experiences in there right now and two more that are uh, coming soon. And you can literally book a day and an experience in either the research facility or Dimension One. I like research facility. Research facility right now is three-player uh, three uh, cooperative. And uh, we're utilizing our new guns in research facility, which I really like because they've got haptic feedback built into them. So, and you pull the trigger on those, they kick. Um, nice. <laughs> and, and the research facility, I was listening to some people go through research facility this afternoon, and there was yelling and screaming, and, and it was... It, it, was it kind of sounds like um, a combination between Escape the Room and um, what's that? Oculus, except for not on, maybe on your face. I don't know how it works, actually. Well, we actually, Oculus Rift. We, we have been using DK2s, but they don't have the resolution that we want or the field of vision that we want. Yeah. And so we have just recently deployed our own proprietary um, HMDs that have a much higher, uh, much higher refresh rate, much higher resolution rates. They're, they're actually beautiful. I'm going to say I did get a chance to try an Oculus Rift once. And it does not take much. It like what you're doing is crazy, but just just to like fool your brain into thinking that you're moving does not take a lot. The- well, one of the problems actually, though, with with Oculus and a lot of the other HMD systems, um, is um, uh, motion sickness. Oh yes, I could totally see that because one yeah. of the demos was a was a roller coaster. I was like, okay, this does actually feel like I'm moving. It's well, pretty but terrifying. here's the it's pretty terrifying. And, but the problem that often happens with a lot of people in, in HMDs is that they'll move around in them for a while and they'll get violently motion sick. Yep. And the reason for that is because um, your eyes are and your ears are telling you one thing and the rest of your all the rest of your senses are telling you something completely different. So, so you've gone and you've taken and you've made it more consistent. All your senses well, are telling you the same thing. Everything is one to one. I yeah. mean, you literally walk through the space. Uh, you reach out. You can touch the wall, and and so um, everything is one to one. And so every everything in your body is is giving you the same feedback. So. When I'm in an HMD, if I'm in an Oculus or if I'm in uh, other virtual reality headsets, I get just terribly sick after about three to five minutes. Hmm. I mean, just, I mean, lie down for hours kind of sick. But with the system we have here, I can be in this all day and never be bothered by it. That's really interesting. 
it's an astonishing thing, yeah. But uh, you know, <clears throat> Tracy, when when we stuff. started talking about this, which was I guess like a year ago, uh, I, I kept something in the back of my head kept saying, "You've read this book," and I realized about two or three months ago that the book, yeah, I actually did read this book, and the book was. Uh, Dream Park, which was written by Larry Niven and Steve Barnes, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I've been actually <laughs> I'm sorry, I've been rereading Dream Park lately. Yeah, and and when you you dropped this on me the other day, I just went through those books uh, that series again and went, "This is really cool," <laughs> because I remember in the '80s reading the book and just kind of going. This would be wonderful. This is like Disneyland for geeks. And uh, wow, you dreamed way higher than I did as a kid, Tom. <laughs> my my major dream as a child was an e-reader, which didn't exist at the time. And <laughs> so I'm basically good now. I'm happy. Like yeah. Well, I have to go. Evidently, I have to end up in in Salt Lake City at this point. Yeah. Because yeah, my my hope is actually we have uh, Salt Lake Comic Con is a huge event. They're about to do their Fanex, which is run by the same uh, same group. If you ever find yourselves going to either of those conventions, you know, or in Salt Lake for any reason, give me a call. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I would very... ever find myself in Salt Lake accidentally, well, I... but I will definitely come on purpose. Well, yeah, I on. think we could I maybe mean, do that. Like. I could find my, yeah, like, I don't, consult, like, I don't travel. We could get there on purpose. Just yeah. come on purpose and we will show you, uh, we will show you uh, absolutely amazing things. I was walk, I was watching yesterday as, um, as uh, Eliza Dushka was going through our experience for Ted. And there's a moment when she, she rides this ancient, you ride this ancient elevator up through this shaft and it, it comes out into this, beautiful vista, twilight vista, uh, in the jungle. And uh, I was watching her, and she just stopped at this vista, you know, and, and you'd think, well, let's get on with the adventure. Let's, you know, move into the, uh, move into the next area and get down the next hallway. But she's, not only did she stop, but she knelt down for a moment just to take it all in because she was there. And it was incredibly beautiful, and she just wanted to experience it for a moment. And that's the kind of reaction that you don't get elsewhere, and that's the kind of reaction that I was so pleased to see. Um, you know, and when um, when Felicia Day went through, she she I can still remember her saying uh, saying as she was in the experience, I just forgot this wasn't real. <laughs> and that's that that's. Wonderful. That's an amazing thing, yeah. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure meeting you, albeit sort of in this high-tech way. But uh, And thank you for the invitation. I will definitely try to take you up on that. That sounds fascinating, and I have to see this. So. Oh, please do. I'd love to show it to you. Of course, thank that you. wasn't the news that I called you about, but that was, you know. It's okay. It was still fascinating. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> so yeah, let's just, talk about the other news. Come. Just everybody come to the void.com, look at the videos, and wonder why you're not in Salt Lake. Or as somebody said on Facebook, I never thought I'd have a reason to set foot in Utah, but now I have to go. <laughs> yes. So anyway, the other news that I had um, is that uh, Wizards of the Coast has just announced, uh, recently announced that um, they're doing Curse of Strahd which is going to be a hardback uh, campaign book for 5th edition um, that uh, is an expansion on the original Ravenloft. Um, it's, uh, uh, I, I've had to keep quiet about this for just a very long time, but it's like the first, uh, first new um, campaign setting that they've done for 5th uh, edition. And you were involved in this how? Well, I'll tell you, Dome. I was uh, <laughs> actually uh, Chris uh, Chris Perkins uh, uh, called me up 
and said, we're going to be doing this project. Well, the first thing he said to me, you're still under NDA, right? And I said, <laughs> yes, I believe oh. I'm under NDA until the turn of the next century. But Oh, good um, Lord. And then he, uh, so no, he until said, now, when you're talking about it in public, on the record. Yeah, until now, it's good. And so uh, he said, we're going to be doing... Um, we're going to be bringing Ravenloft into 5th edition and would you be interested in participating in that and uh, I said well absolutely um, uh, especially because my wife and I had a great deal to say um, uh, in terms of Ravenloft it was, it was one of our uh, best received adventures and certainly dearest to our hearts Kind of like revisiting message. an old friend, isn't it? Well, yes, and I think the message actually is is more relevant today than ever. Uh, and I wanted to make sure that the message wasn't lost in um, uh, the message didn't get lost in, in the confusion between um, suspense, um, horror, and um, slasher. Um, uh, I wanted to make sure that we had that we kept the true horror and suspense aspects as opposed to just the grotesque um, and the underlying message, which I felt, which I still feel very, very strongly, is an important one today. So, uh, but and Chris said, "No, absolutely, that's what we want." And so, Wizards of the Coast flew me up to their headquarters up in the Seattle area, up in Renton, and uh, I spent a week there with the design team. Um, uh, talk, we first started talking about the foundations of Ravenloft and the story and, and, and the characters and found out that we were all in complete agreement as to where this needed to go and what it needed to do and say. And most of the rest of the week in expanding on the original universe with concepts and, I, and new places to go, new things to see, new characters to meet, all of which maintained... Um, uh, maintained the field that we wanted and maintained the uh, the structure that we wanted underneath uh, the story throughout. Uh, the result's a magnificent book. I've been looking at a PDF copy of uh, of the layouts, the final layouts, and um, it's a compelling and intriguing um, uh, compelling and intriguing retelling of the original and an expansion of the original that. Uh, Laura and I are just supremely excited about. Well, that's a shame. <laughs> yeah. yeah, bad went something. Like, yeah, yeah. No, it could have turned out better. We were, we were so thrilled with it. So the 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 new publish is done. Or yeah, I mean, well, it'll be out, and it'll be out. I think March fifteenth is when the release date is. Although. It'll probably be in stores, from what I understand, the first part of March. I have to wait for another month here before it'll actually be in people's hands. But um, uh, what a beautiful book. The artwork's incredible. Um, and they're producing a, a, a set of cards with Gale Force 9, um, the Taroka deck, uh, which in, uh, incorporates a randomizing element into the game and story that we had started in the original with um, Madame Eva's uh, card readings. Very cool. I mean, because the artwork in the original book was also the co the cover art and the original art was just wonderful. Yeah, it was outstanding. Yeah, I, there's a particular piece in the in near the front of the book that uh, is a portrait of Strad um, that uh, that I find um, r rather compelling, actually. Um, the gentleman vampire um, uh, in a uh, dungeon setting, you know, requires a little bit of uh, a little bit of modification. The, the the cape is not quite as appropriate, maybe as it once was, and um, his background in particular has a lot more depth uh, in some ways than um, than some of the early literature uh, vampires. It was actually of some uh, surprise to Laura and I when Francis Ford Coppola uh, released his version of Dracula, and the story looked remarkably familiar. Um, <laughs> <a lot of people. laughs> 
Indeed. So you're 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 you've got a very full uh, full working life ahead of you right now, don't <laughs> Which you? Which is definitely completely unlike Tracy. I know. Yeah. Oh, I'm usually such a slacker. Oh my gosh, you're so yeah. lazy. <laughs> well, really? right now I'm I'm doing uh, we're doing about uh, we're doing ten hour days at uh, at the void. Um, because we just have so much content that needs to be developed for this system. Um, uh, I mean, good developers uh, the, are hard to find. Well, yes, and, and more to the point, good writers are difficult to find. Um, Hollywood, for many years, has been decrying, uh, the, has been claiming that there are no, no, not enough good stories to tell. But the truth is that they have a very t- hard time recognizing one when they see one. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely right, yeah. Well, it, and it, it is, and it's sad, I, I, and that's part of, that's part of the, the industry that, uh, that Hollywood is. I mean, they, they uh, the bottom line is the bottom line, and, um, um, and if, you know, if they can do Hot Tub Time Machine 4 and make money, then that's oh. what they're they're going to do it. Yep, no way around Barf. it. They did all the Transformers movies. I mean, if that didn't. Well, yes, they did. And if that and if that didn't, you know, pretty much support my argument, I don't know what does. I don't know what does. JJ Abrams my, still, still has a job. Well, How yes, is this yes, possible? That, now he can well, win more of my favorite most, franchises. Please go ahead. Well, that's because JJ Abrams is, of course, the most brilliant director of our time. Okay, so, you take your tongue firmly out of your cheek at this point. <laughs> I, I have to, like, resist vomiting every time you say that. Now you're just trying. I just, I'm just messing with your head, Cree. Yeah. So, no, so you're heading up to Toronto at this point. To, Vancouver. To do Vancouver, I'm sorry. Vancouver, yes. Otherwise, people will be flocking to Toronto and they'll be so disappointed. <laughs> they'll be like, where's Hickman? Where's <laughs> Tracy? I yeah. can't find him anywhere. Where's this Ted thing? I don't know. We're going to be we're going to be deploying uh, we're going to be deploying this up in Vancouver. It's a it's an astonishing experience, and from what I understand, it's already sold out. Um, uh, it's it's going to be an exciting time for us to be, to display this amazing craft that that, that we've developed here. Um, we uh, and to have people experience it is is what's what really gives me a lot of joy. I've been watching people for the last two days go through the experience, and the uh, and the wonder that they have when they step out of it. Uh, I had a gentleman who is a, a, a who was in the VR field come out of it yesterday. I'm a professional virtual reality designer step out of it yesterday and his first words were I have got to go away and just think about what I've seen there's so much to take in that's the best uh, and it's the best it's it, like I say it's an astonish an astonishing experience so when you guys come back from Vancouver mm-hmm. we'll talk again why yes I think we should <laughs> I think we, we need to. to we it. seriously need to get all of you out here to see this. I, I, I can talk about it all day and and uh, and tell people what the experience is like. But and and I've been working in words for thirty years, more than thirty years. Um, but I I cannot find the words. You know what um, we should do? We should come out the there. I'll bring I'll bring all my my gear and by all my gear I mean like my little audio mixer and my phone and um. We'll do this up. We will yeah. film this, and yeah. I think it would be even. Fun. Can you can you actually get the video output from the virtual reality? So could we like splice it, edit in like from the point of view of the person experiencing it? Well, we do actually take uh, some video feed from uh, from it for the sake of the guides. And so there's, I, I suppose there's a possibility actually that we could get you video of, of uh, in Because I'm thinking, how cool would it be to go in there, look at this museum, take a video of this museum, Dome can narrate, and show off all the pieces, talk to you, talk to your son, 
go in, have, and have a shot out. of what's actually there yeah. for like a second. Gee, I would then, hate to do that, no, 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 Tracy. And then cut I know, to I know. What, what they're seeing. And how cool would that be? It, it's somewhat similar, um, except for to a much greater extent, to when they started 3D scanning people at cons here. Mm-hmm. And it was just so cool. And no one could wrap their heads around it, really. All the cosplayers were smart and lined up there. And, and I actually was like, I get this. This is really great. And their prices were a steal um, for what it was. And I, what I did was, is that we did beginning to end. You, we had pictures of me getting scanned at the convention. Then we had how they turned it into wireframes, how they, tur- they mapped me onto the wireframe of my 3D model, and then the printed me next to the picture of me being scanned. It was super fun. Yeah. Just showing the yeah. process. I mean, you don't want to tip your hand and show how the illusion is created necessarily, but I think people would die to see even just the tiniest taste of it. Well, you're welcome to come anytime. Doors open. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping to see Melissa here. So. For you. It's going to be about... 20 minutes long and hope you don't mind like we'll bring drew to do hair and makeup and we'll see how it goes okay well we're out we're what i can report is that we're well funded and we are looking at a worldwide deployment and by worldwide we mean worldwide are you kidding uh, i'm sitting here trying to book a date in january right now and i can't get one (laughs) <laughs> or February. Good lord. Uh, we'll okay. figure out uh, a time to go, Dom. We'll figure out a time to go. So, so, from a purely consumer standpoint, what's it cost? Well, our current models, uh, we have a, about a 30-minute experience that, that is the model, basically, that we're looking at. I think we're probably looking at about a 35 price point to start. Um, but uh, uh, our experience so far is every time we've opened up our betas. Hello? Hello? That was weird. Yes, I'm sorry. That was. No, it, it's uh, our experience so far has been that every time we've opened up our betas, they sell out within 30 minutes. Yeah. So we're going to see how the price point goes uh, when when we first open. Oh, 30 whole minutes. I get it. I think you'd be astonished at what happens inside those 30 minutes. It's, uh, I don't think I would. I think... Yeah. Well, and I've designed the first experience, and uh, my son and I both actually have designed the first experience um, that uh, that we'll be going to be deploying, and it's uh, it's going to be quite a ride. <laughs> uh. I I think you'll probably get the people. I mean, even you know, we played Photon for years, which was kind of a you know mm-hmm. early awkward precursor, and um, we all. Gathered, we had our own need <laughs> when it played, and we paid the cop price, you know, to yeah. go into the dark and run around and shoot things. <laughs> yeah, it's like laser. Oh, absolutely. Okay. This sounds far more immersive than a dark maze, you know. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, and and ter- and and truly beautiful. If you come to the website, you'll see some of the interior art that's there. And and in fact, the art that you see there is a lot of it actually is in game, uh, in game art um, that is just taken from uh, from renderings uh, in the experiences that we've deployed so far. Yeah, just go to thevoid.com and um, um, watch our cool video, of course, because everyone should. But, yes, everyone, uh, watch the video right now. Because it's really cool. And if you go to our website, we will link you right to it. You can look at it. You can see what the void looks like. Uh, 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 I'm just astounded. You know, we've been talking about this project for a while now, and well, it's up and it's internally, running. Internally, though, we haven't talked right. about it on the show yet. Right. And uh, I always hoped it was going to be as amazing as it's actually turned out to be Tracy. Uh, 
Don't. My I'm friend. Gonna, no. Don't. What? You forgot something. No, I didn't. Oh, yes, you did forget something, Dome. Yes, you did. I know that you've forgotten something. <laughs> yep. So, Tracy, is, why don't you go ahead not, and remind him? Say, is there not a project that we are all supposed to be involved in? As <laughs> yeah. I recall, there is. Are, are we doing a project as well right now? Are we? Are we? I don't we? know, Dome. Are we? <laughs> that, that Tracy may be involved in? Tracy is one of the writers in My Peculiar Family, which is an anthology of stories from writers who have been on the show, and Tracy... Okay, has... you know what? No, 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 no. I'm going to do this. Because oh, okay. Like, okay, My Peculiar Family is awesome. What we did is we found a crapload of really cool old tintype photos, and the thing about these old tintypes is that no one knows who these people are. No one. No one. Who are they? You tell me, Tracy. That, well, that's, that's they are anthology... part of our peculiar family. Exactly. That's what this anthology is all about. We got our favorite writers today on the show. Sorry, Melinda, you were not on the show yet at that point. Sorry. No problem. <laughs> I'm just saying. You may be no. one of our favorites, but you weren't there at the time. And we got how many of them, Dome? How many are in there? 15? 17. 17. Okay, the number keeps changing. 17 of them, we handed them a tintype, a name, and a an occupation, an occupation, and said, tell me who this is. But, here's the really cool thing. Tracy doesn't have a name yet. Why doesn't Tracy have a name? Because you can choose the name. And you can choose the occupation. If you pay for the Tracy Hickman Challenge Reward... You get to tell Tracy the name of the characters and their occupation, and Tracy will customize the story you've given him. Wow. What a high-wire act. I would... <laughs> I think it's cool. I damn, to be honest. And uh, That's that right. report... I am carrying my own cardboard sign that says, we'll write your character for food. <laughs> <laughs> For a trip to the void, absolutely. And Tracy, I can't thank you enough for participating in the project, and uh, hope that somebody is wise enough to uh, procure that reward and bring us. We are currently doing very well on our Kickstarter. So, why don't you uh, tell us who, who else is in this lovely anthology? Well, to do that, I would have to actually go to the website. Thank you. You, you know, off the top of your head, just tell us who's in the anthology. Who else is in this anthology? I think our, one of my personal favorites, Chris Golden. Christopher Golden is part of the anthology. This anthology. Um, now James, the James Moore. James A. Moore is part of the anthology. Stacy Longo, Rob Watts. Happy birthday, Stacy! Happy birthday, Stacy! You know we had to say we that. Forgot that too. You're all. You're so forgetful. <laughs> and do? and there are a number of emerging writers who. Uh, are just getting their feet wet into it and said, hey, I'd like to try this and came up with some amazing things. Uh, it, people who were comic book writers and said, I'd like to try my hand at a story like George O'Connor or people who were artists and, and cartoonists and said, you know, I can write too like Karen Goslin. People like that, wonderful people uh, who've all been on the show and have lent their talents to this anthology. And the fingernail guy. That story scarred me for life, though. The fingernail guy? John Palazzano. <laughs> that story scarred me for... I, I only got one page into it, and I was like, this has scarred me for life. Like, no. I think he's so, kind of hey, proud you know, of it, though, to be honest. I would do this with you guys all night, but I just got called. I have to go back into the void and test the new deployment of this reality system. Sounds, got the, sounds terrible. I'm sorry. They've got, the, they've got the vest haptics working, and now I have to be able to actually feel the impact of the explosions. So, Melinda, so Tracy, thank you so much for both of you for joining us tonight for a wonderful hour of conversation. Thank you. It was great fun. Thanks, Melinda. I look forward to seeing you soon. And you. Thank you. I look forward yeah. to being all about the TED Talk. 
Please do. Brianna, what's happening on the show in the next couple of weeks? Well, next week we have Hope Nichols, who is of the secret loves of geek girls. I'm not, Cam, is is that a book? It's a book. That's that's an anthology book that she and a bunch of her friends wrote. Nifty. Well, that sounds cool. And that's all I got. So, bookie monkey, get booking. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. So now I get to say that Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Boston Comic Con, Granite Con, BooksandBooze.com, and ComicArtHouse.com. Visit Comic Art House for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Check out more of their grooves on LawrenceMadeMeCry.com. Tonight's intro music provided by Rob Watts. Find more of his creation at RobWattsOnline.com. There's nothing better than a great hour of conversation with people who have really cool stuff to say. I can't thank Melinda and Tracy enough for a wonderful hour. Uh, and, and for our cast as well from the Revere Time Vortex, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana. Thanks for making it happen, kiddo. All I'm going to say is, Melinda, I love you and I'm stealing you so that I can pick your brain about stuff all night. Okay. Um, whenever you like. Are you guys going to be at Bosco? We were actually talking about that possibility right before you joined the call. Because uh, I'm going to be there. Well, so I mean, I'm don't... here anyway. Whenever you're in Boston, I'm here. So okay. let's wrap this up so we can talk some more. Indeed. Cam, the booking monkey, thank you, my friend, for joining us. Anytime. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everyone. <laughs>